Hi and welcome everybody. In today's episode we're going to discuss how to leverage communication to excel in client work. We're going to go into how you can ensure that you focus on work exclusively that's highly relevant to your client. We'll discuss how expectation management with your client can make project planning almost obsolete, not quite, but almost. And we're going to go into how you can consistently over-deliver and give your client 110%, make sure they're delighted and awestruck with your results. This is Phil's Audio Experience. Just a couple of days ago, I was approached by a small consultancy that um, asked me the question of how they can ensure that their current projects, the current client projects are delivering the expected results. And basically, they wanted to delight their client and wanted to make sure to get some follow-up projects. So the first thing um, when talking to them, I realized was that um, they were putting a lot of time into project planning. So they were um, getting basically a bit in touch with the client, um, understanding some of the requirements of what they wanted to solve, and then went into extensive planning processes and um, yeah, tried basically to make sure to cover everything um, from the start. Now, the first big chunk here is to actually step back a bit from planning and go more into the problem. So without before even diving into the solution, it's much, much more important to describe the challenge and define the scope of that and, and define the scope of the project. And the second part was that they tried to bring in new ideas. And I think one very important concept to understand is that as a consultant, I mean, there are some cases where you are brought in to bring in, let's say, more, spe- I mean, let's say domain-specific knowledge. But in many, so in this case, for example, it was uh, setting up a marketing strategy. And the key here was to understand that they were not brought there to bring in new ideas. They were the facilitators of the process. So, and they want, they were supposed to get things done. And I think this is true for quite a lot of consulting projects. If it's something domain specific and class, well, I need actual insight for how to publish something on a channel that we've never used before then it may make sense to bring in entirely new ideas. But typically, as a consultant, you're brought in um, to yeah to facilitate the process and get things done. Now, the most important bit here is that the, the biggest challenge was that actually they, uh, they didn't really get into what would help the client. And this is um, the key insight here that where I gave them a, um, a six-step process that can be replicated by anyone. So if you are struggling with pretty much anything, and we're not only talking consulting projects, I mean, it's always the same principle. So um, I'll guide you through a six-step process um, very quickly that will make it much, much more easy for you to, uh, to get into what you should actually do. Step one is to, and what's important is you jot all of this down. So um, this was actually the task they had. Uh, we went through the six-step process and everyone literally had three or four minutes for each step and jotted it down. The result was that within 25 minutes, they actually had a better idea for what to do for actually not to do within the project, but what to ask their client um, than they had in the couple of, last couple of weeks when talking and working on various things. So the first step is to actually jot down the customer's idea and vision behind the project. So the question is, how did this come up? Uh, what is the goal of the customer? And most importantly, what's important to her or him? So why, the, basically the why behind the project, what do they want to achieve? That's the one. Step two is the desired outcomes. So these are typically the key results and it's important to be specific here. So for example, in the project we were discussing, the desired outcome was a marketing strategy, whatever specifically that means. So what's important here is to first get into 
more specific things so is it a social strategy is it a content uh, just be as specific as you can and to do this twice once from a customer perspective and once from the project team perspective so the customer may have a very different definition of done than a project team both are important and we're going to get back to scope in just a second um, but both perspectives are really important to um, to get the an understanding of when is your customer happy and when can you as a project team say we're done here step three very important one for efficiency assets that can be leveraged and this is actually um, i see this over and over when people are just trying to build things from scratch just because so really take just five or ten minutes to note down what kind of assets and that can be anything it can be any powerpoint slide deck you have any template any previous project you've done what have you or someone else created in the past that can be used to achieve a better or faster outcome now the next two points focus on the outcome of the project. The first one is how will success be measured? And again, this is something that for lots of projects, especially when it comes to conceptual projects, is often neglected because people say, well, actually, you know, it's a strategy project. You cannot really measure the outcome we're delivering or a slight thing. And it's the same for a thesis. You can say, well, what, how am I supposed to measure? I mean, I can measure quality, but uh, how do I measure success? And the point is, think about what what can you put into quantitative numbers and figures so it's really smart goals that you're looking for uh, for example in marketing it can be something i mean whether that makes sense or not i'm gonna leave the judgment up to you but for i'm, I'm just naming random things it can be likes it can be shares i mean on the business side it could be revenue the point is define how success will be measured this correlates just very very strongly with the next point how is the quality of the outcome measured and to it makes sense to make the to distinguish between the two because for example let's say you run a marketing campaign and your team creates the greatest ad ever i mean you hire the best producers you hire great actors, and at the end of the day you have a super high quality marketing clip again quality can be any success factor that is just not really really um, you cannot really put it into figures and numbers you may even say well it doesn't add tangible value but at the end of the day, for example, it could be something like brand adherence or you can describe the look and feel of something or the characteristics. You can say, well, the design is clean. and without, so Yes, of course, it's hard to be measured, but it's important to do this because then you can independently evaluate whether a project team did great work and high quality work and whether that initiative is successful or not. For example, if that result results in sales of something is an entirely different story, especially for example, when it comes to something like marketing, when you run an ad, it can well be that you produce a great ad that just doesn't get much attention and it may entirely not be the project team's fault. So for you as a consultant, super important to do this because you can then define the quality and whether that is a success or not, you know, that then you can simply just make the, uh, separate these two discussions. Now, the last two, the first one is actually maybe the most important one of all, and that's the scope limits and boundaries. Take a few minutes to really jot down what is in scope and what's out of scope. For IT consultants, for example, this comes very naturally. They're really used to managing the scope very closely because it's really easy for a customer to just slip in something and say, well, can't we just, you know, have another button here? And that button actually causes you days, weeks, or even months of work. In, in everything conceptual, that is often a lot more difficult. But again, if we go to some real life examples, for example, if you're, again, if you're in university and you're writing a thesis or uh, if some, whatever it is, 
manage the scope, really jot down what's in scope and what's out of scope. And for example, in unit, discuss this with your professor. If you're anywhere else, I mean, this can be any task at work also. This can also, whether you're an employee or a boss, defining what's in scope and what's out of scope on both ends will make it very clear what people should work on, on specifically what not to work on. I think this part is the part that many people just ignore most of the time. And if you give someone a task and you don't define where to stop, then people may just keep working because they think they're doing the right thing, even though you, what you wanted from them is, has, been, uh, has long been delivered. So scope limits and boundaries are really important to define. And last but not least, rabbit holes. Um, we call the rabbit holes. We call them rabbit holes because the, those are unforeseen challenges. And it's important to note these down because, I mean, obviously it's uh, it's a bit of a, a paradox to say we are going to we're going to uh, look at the unforeseen challenges because obviously they're unforeseen. But the point is, sometimes you will be able to identify some of those. For example, if you do a research project, whether that's again for a client or a university or anywhere, um, if you want to run a marketing campaign and want to do some research. One of the rabbit holes could be, well, we wanted to interview 30 people, but the results may be inconclusive. So we'll, we have to run some more. So basically, those are uh, topics where there could be an extended amount of work coming up that is not really expected. And by simply noting those down, you can think about mitigations and how to deal and, and basically plan ahead for how to deal with them. Now, basically, if you run through these six points, so the customer's vision and idea behind the project, the desired outcomes, the assets that can be leveraged, how you measure success, how you measure quality, where your scope ends and where your boundaries are, and the rabbit holes. Once you do this, take 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And by the way, this is also a great way to describe kind of pretty much any kind of project or task or anything you give to someone. Um, if you do this, you really ensure that you, uh, you have a good idea, both from a client and from your own perspective. Or let's say if it's, if you're if you lead a team, for example, that you have it from your own and from the team's perspective and make sure that basically the project scope and the expectations are clear. And the scope is such a central element. And here we get to back to the point of how to over deliver. How do you manage to create a great customer experience or how do you generally make sure you can over deliver? Well, you need to be very clear on what delivery means in the first place. Now, some people, for example, I know they deliberately set the scope to 90% just to be able to go to 100. I would never do this. I personally prefer to go uh, to put the scope at 100%, but be very clear on what those 100% are. And then I plan ahead of time so that I can deliver 110. And if you do this, basically the challenge is when you start thinking about this in the middle or even towards the end of the project, you have some unexpected work. And this is where you see all those uh, projects where in the end, everybody's working day and night because they suddenly realize, oh, we can't just kind of missed something. Or they say, well, now we want to over deliver. So we have to put in those extra 10% of work, but we have to do it all at once in the end. If you are 100% clear on what 100% of the scope are from the very beginning and you're planning with 110%, you can consistently just do 10% extra and we'll get to 110% anyway. So a few practical principles to, to take away from this. Principle number one, talk to your client first and always. So again, it's exclusively relevant what your client thinks is valuable. If you are going into a meeting and say, I have a good idea, that's the wrong text. What you could say is, I have five propositions. Can I bounce them off of you to see what kind of uh, what, you, what you're thinking about them? Basically, the, the idea is to get as close to what the other side is thinking as uh, um, as quickly as possible. 
Point number two, don't plan your projects, shape them. So instead of getting a task and then planning the amount of time, really go into what's valuable, what's the scope, and then shape that scope and jot out what's maybe not so valuable and kick it out so you can actually focus on the right things within the time that you're given. And this goes directly into the third point, limit the time, don't plan it. So define how much time you will spend on a certain topic or task. And you can do this by prioritizing. So get an understanding of what's important to a client and what's how important, and then allocate percentages of the project time to those tasks. Instead of saying, well, I want to get this done, I need 15 hours, you say, well, I have those five things. Number three is the most important, so 30% of the project time go into this. And if you do this, you basically force yourself to make trade-offs and you force yourself to prioritize accordingly. Point number four, consider uphill work versus downhill work. We call uphill work basically everything where you're still trying to figure out what to do and not the implementation part. So uphill work is everything conceptual. So for example, for the let's say for, the, uh, for this episode here, the uphill work was to define the big building blocks. So I would say, well, I want to talk about A, B, and C. And I want to possibly the next layer of, well, the subpoints of this D, E, E, F, and G. Now, once that is done, basically it's only quote-unquote downhill work. So I basically have to fill out the details and I have to make a plan for when to record this and then record it and put it and um, edit it and put it live. The important part for the project is make sure you understand what uphill work is. Basically everything that's conceptual, everything where you really have to put some thought into it and where you're not entirely clear how long it will take because just going through a to-do list that can be fairly well managed. And I think a lot of the people that plan projects and they're not in they, where they build project plans that overrun, they, uh, they basically make very strict plans, both for the downhill and the uphill work phase. And when they, when they are in the conceptual phase, in the research phase, there's lots of things that can unexpectedly take longer. And then you kind of set yourself up for uh, running over time. So it's a much better idea to uh, make a rough plan for saying the first 30% of the project are going to be uphill work. And once we're done with this, we're going to plan the rest of the project. And finally, the fifth point is always manage the scope. So this is something, be in constant exchange with your client, be in constant exchange, so give frequent updates, get frequent input, get frequent feedback on what's what's valuable, not only not, don't only bounce results off of them, but really get into understanding what of what you've already produced is valuable to them. And by doing this, and again, setting the scope to 110% upfront, you will be able to easily deliver 110% and make sure that it's 100% relevant. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It would mean the world to me if you could leave a comment, leave your feedback. Give me a shout out if you have any ideas or any questions. If you want to hear about a certain topic, let me know. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing you in the next episode. Take care.